Wisdom makes you more responsible in all areas of life, but especially in the way you deal with and make decisions about people. This message is the eighth in the series, Wise Up. The message is entitled, Be Responsible, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, this morning. Turn to Proverbs chapter three as we are going to conclude a series of messages that we've been involved with over the summer called Wise Up. And actually, before we get into the message, I want to encourage you, to, if you will, to reach down into your bulletins this week, your, your cards there. Grab this card. It says, I will not settle. If you'll get that in your hand, just for a moment, I want to talk to you about this, all of our campuses together just for, for a little bit. As I've been uh, studying this summer, preparing for this new fresh year, as we start the school year together, looking for the next several months together as a church family, I felt really impressed to do a series of messages on the five choices that will change your life, the five choices that you can make in your life that will always make a difference for your future. And so what we're going to do, I've never actually done this before, but actually we're going to take an entire six to seven months and study a series called Made for More. Would you say that with me? Made for More. And the Made for More series will include five individual segments. And each segment will talk about a I will choice that you can make in your life, something that you can do to say, I will choose to do whatever that is for that particular series that will put you on a pathway to being all that God has for you. Our first segment of the five that we'll be looking at is the segment called I Will Not Settle. Say that with me. I will not settle. Far too many people settle for things in life that they never should settle for. God has more for you, and you'll never find more if you stay in the wilderness. Amen? God has a promised land for you. And so we're going to talk about making the decision to not settle in your life. I want to encourage you to be here for this entire series all throughout the year, but especially as we start the I Will Not Settle part of that series, and to use these uh, little cards to invite your friends, your neighbors, your family members, because we want, wouldn't it be wonderful if we pack this place out every nine o'clock every Sunday morning? I mean, you know, there are other people that you know that need to be in church this morning, right? And so you, you're the person that has the opportunity of contacting them, connecting with them, and inviting them to be a part. So use this, help us to promote this, because we believe it's going to be a life-changing uh, group of series together and will change us for our future. In Proverbs chapter 3, we're looking this summer over the series talking about wising up and the importance of gaining wisdom in our lives. Wisdom is far more than knowledge. Knowledge is information you store in your brain that may not, in fact, affect your life in any way, shape, or form. Have you know things that, is never, that you really never needed to know? You studied things you never used anywhere because you you had the knowledge, but it was never applied in your life. Well, wisdom goes beyond that. Wisdom is the ability to take the right kind of knowledge and apply it in the decisions that you make of life, the circumstances you find yourself in, so that your life gets better and you better the lives of those around you. So wise people are improving their life and they're improving the lives of those around them. The opposite of being wise, the Bible says, is to be a fool. So foolishness is what we're ridding ourselves of. Wisdom is what we are pursuing actively. You will never become wise unless you actively pursue it. You have to want to be wise and go after it. 
As a part of wisdom and throughout this book of Proverbs, which is the book of wisdom, we're focusing our attention on one chapter this summer, and we're talking about the third chapter, and we're looking at various topics. And we've come to the latter verses of chapter 3, and basically these verses point us toward being responsible in the relationships of our life, that if we're going to be wise, we have to learn how to be responsible in the relationships of our lives. Last weekend, I began talking about this theme. I'm going to continue today. Really, the basic theme is how to be a good neighbor, how to be responsible in your relationships. Proverbs 3, 27 through 35. I'm going to read from the International Version and also from the New Living Translation. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when you now have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. Listen now as I read this from the New Living Translation. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby. Trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. Don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord, but he offers his friendship to the godly. The Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools are put to shame. Today I'd like to share with you five things that we learned from this passage about being wise in our relationships. How do we actually become more responsible in our interactions with people around us? What are our responsibilities as good neighbors. Number one today is you you and I have the responsibility to build relationships or friendships, I should say, with good people, to build friendships. In Proverbs 3, verse 32, the latter part of verse 32 says, but he offers his friendship to the godly. That passage, first of all, talks about God, that God himself offers friendship to those who walk in a godly manner, those who commit their lives to him and follow him. He becomes their friend. Isn't it amazing to think that God wants to be your friend? I love the old song we sang a number of years ago, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God. It's a wonderful thing to remember that Jesus has brought us into relationship with God and when we live in ways that please Him, God becomes our friend. And just as God is our friend, God wants us to befriend other people. He wants you to be a friend to people, to find good people and to befriend them, to engage in their life. And friendships don't just happen. Friendships have to be built. You have to work to make them happen. Friendships will sometimes start with a basic attraction to another person, something that you share in common, a kindred spirit that you feel, but that alone will never make a friendship work. And you and I need good friendships in our life. And you will never develop good friendships as long as you live in isolation. That's why God designed us to be a part of something called community. And the community is not just the community at large where we live in our neighborhoods, but it's a community of believers called the church. 
And that's why it's very important that you connect into the life of a church because in so doing, you're able to begin to build friendships with people who are going the same direction you're going. But it takes effort. It takes uh, the sense of investment on your part. And God says if you're going to be wise in relationships, you have a responsibility and your responsibility. Don't wait for someone to come and befriend you. Make the decision to befriend other people. Build friendships in your life with good people. Number two, the scripture here teaches us that we're to create a healthy home life. That's wise. It's wise to create a healthy home life because being a neighbor doesn't start outside of the walls of your home. Being a good neighbor starts actually inside the walls of your home. Notice Proverbs 3.33, the Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. So good neighboring begins at home. Say it with me. Good neighboring begins where? At home, not outside of your home, but good neighboring begins actually in your home with people that you are closest to. Now, it's very interesting in this passage that he uses two different words. It says the Lord curses the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the upright. There is a difference between a house and a home. A house is a material place where you... You hang up your hat, if you will, where you go to sleep at night and eat your meals. It's just a physical environment. You have a house. It might be an apartment. It might be a condominium. It might be a townhouse. It might be a single-family dwelling. You have a place that you go to, a physical address that is your house. But there are a lot of houses that aren't homes. There are a lot of folks that have a house, but they don't have a home. Because the word home signifies something far deeper. It signifies an emotional environment that is safe and that is secure, that is peaceful, that is a sanctuary, a consecrated, if you will, safe place for a group of people to grow together and to connect with one another. And the Bible says that building, just like you have to build friendships, you have to build your home. You have to invest in the relationships of the family to allow the family to be strong. In Proverbs 24, verse 3, it says it takes wisdom to build a house and understanding to set it on a firm foundation. So wisdom is required. If you're married here today, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you as you're going into a new season, uh, the fall and school and all the activities, that you would make the decision to say, you know what, I want to grow in my marriage. It doesn't matter how long you've been married, you still need to grow in your marriage. Amen? My wife and I have been married for 39 years, correct? just want to make sure it's not 40, it's 39, right? Okay. 39 years. And we still have to grow. We still have to work through things. We still have to learn how to communicate, how to effectively talk through stuff and to get on the other side of problems. See, there's no such thing as ever arriving at perfection in any relationship. It is an ongoing process, but you have to want to grow in it. You have to want to learn. And I'm thankful that in the early days of our marriage, we had the, in fact, we were just talking about this the other day, that we had the opportunity of getting some wisdom uh, from books and resources that help us to learn some of the aspects of marriage and family life, and it's vital to gain every bit of wisdom that you can. See, don't ever expect a marriage to work if you're not trying to gain some wisdom about how to do a marriage, right? See, marriage doesn't come natural. You, you have to figure out. You have to learn stuff along the way. If you're single, let me tell you, learn the principles now. The reason that it's valuable to learn principles of relationships before you get married is that it'll attract the right kind of person to you. 
That when you're learning the right kind of things, you'll know what to look for and what to stay away from because you're learning these wise relational principles. And so the scripture says that we're to invest in our homes to build your house on a solid foundation. Remember the story of Jesus that he gave about two men that built their houses? And one man built his house on the sand and another man built his house on the rock and the storm. Storms came to both of these men. They experienced the difficulties of life, and the Bible says that the man who built his house on the sand, no foundation, no wisdom underneath, his house was lost, and the man that built his house on the rock, that is wisdom principles, he knew the word of God and obeyed it, that allowed him to stand the storms of life, make the decision to say, I'm going to build a good family life. I'm investing in my neighbors that live right around me and the four walls that we call our home. Number three, the third thing that's essential that the scripture teaches us here is to build others up and not tear them down. If you're going to be a good neighbor, you have to learn to build up and not tear down. Proverbs 3, 34 says, The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. You may want to circle that word, mockers. I want to talk about it just for a moment. The Hebrew word for mockers there means to scorn. It actually means to laugh at or to make fun of. It's, it means to criticize and to sort of derise in some way that makes a person feel bad or worthless or unimportant, to treat someone with contempt, to treat with ridicule. It's the whole idea of destruction rather than construction. And we learn, according to Scripture, that you and I, in our behaviors, especially in our words, as we'll talk about in a moment, we have the capacity to either build up or tear down. I like to think of our words like a hammer. A hammer can be used for for deconstructing, or a hammer can be used for constructing. It has power, but it's just a matter of how you use it. And so we are called to be people who actually build up and strengthen. Notice Proverbs 17, verse 5. The Lord, those who mock the poor insult their maker. Those who rejoice at the misfortune of others will be punished. Let me remind you of something. When people tear you down, you don't need to have to respond in kind. Because you have a defender with a capital D. You have to understand this. One of the greatest lessons you can learn in life is that you don't always have to be your own defender. You don't always have to fight your own battles. It's good at times to step back when you're being mistreated in some way and say, God, you are my capital D defender, and I know that you can fight battles for me. That's what Proverbs 17 verse 5 says. Those who mock or make fun of, derise in some way, laugh at, consider worthless the poor, insult their maker, those who rejoice at the misfortune of others, will be punished. Who does the punishment? God certainly does. God notices how we treat other people. Don't tear down. Build up Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let. Why don't we read this one together? Aloud and loudly, all of our campuses. Here we go. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Let me talk about that phrase just for a moment. The Greek language is the original language of the New Testament and there are words that oftentimes are not quite as effectively translated into English. Uh, maybe all the dimensions of a word is that we would think of it. But unwholesome, that word in the original Greek language of the New Testament 
Basically, the best way I can describe it is this. It's a corrosive word. It's a word that set, words that are spoken that eat away at the core of something. Think of them, uh, think of this term, unwholesome talk or unwholesome words like acid. And just the drip, drip, drip of acid that eats away over a period of time and corrodes and destroys and eats away. You know that many times in our relationships we can have that drip, drip, drip of acidic words that flow from us and we may not see the initial response but over a year or over five years or over 20 years the corrosive dimension of those words that are spoken eat away at the core of another person's sense of value and self-worth. That's why the scripture says don't let any corrosive or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Number four, the fourth thing that we're told to do is to be humble. Proverbs 3.34 says, The Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. To the humble. We have a responsibility in our relationships to live humbly with other people. Of course, the opposite of humility is pride. I'm not going to take time today to talk extensively about pride, but I do want to highlight some aspects of humility. Humility is a person, when you're living in humility, you don't have an exalted opinion of yourself. You don't think that you are the know-it-all, that you have the answer to everything. You don't have to be right all the time. Humble people recognize their own weaknesses. They realize their own failures. And because of that, they're less likely to be judgmental. When you know your own weakness, you, you have a tendency to withhold a pointing finger at other people because you're humble. Your weaknesses have humbled you in a positive way. Humble people don't resist admitting their mistakes. When you make a mistake, if you're humble, you say, I made a mistake. When you blow it, you say, I'm sorry. When you mess up, you are able to own up to that because pride doesn't get in the way. Pride makes you resistant to even acknowledging that you've missed the mark in any manner. Prideful people almost never apologize. Humble people are those folks that don't care who gets the credit for what. They just they want to see things progress in a positive way. It's not about them. Humble people are always better team players. Amen? You want to have a good team. Don't fill it with superstars with pride. Fill it with maybe some good players that have a sense of we're doing this together as a team. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about us learning to live in the we of life transforming your I to we me to we humble people have the capacity to promote others Jesus made this clear in Matthew 23 verse 12 for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself what will happen to that person will be exalted see God knows how to take you up when you're down and he knows how to bring you down if you're up, okay? It's a wonderful thing to know about God. He has the capacity to take someone who thinks they're all that and bring them right here. And someone who thinks they're none of that and bring them to a place of blessing. Moses, when he got to the point of being used by God, got to the place of humility and said, God, I, you don't want me. I don't even know how to speak. And God said, now, that's exactly where I want you because you're in a position of humility. You move from pride to humility. Now I can use you. The fifth thing that we learned from this passage is that you and I, if we're going to be a good neighbor, be, have the right relationships, wisdom in our interactions with people, we must be an honoring person. Look at verse 35. 
The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. So it's saying if you live wisely, honor will come your way. But it's not just a matter of honor coming to us. Also, honor must flow from us. See, honor in the Bible is a very big topic. God is big on honor. He's big on showing respect. He's big on creating this sense of deference to others. Again, it goes along with the idea of humility. The Bible is an honor book. And the Bible holds us to a life of honor, to live honorably, and to honor other people, to live by a biblical honor code, that we're there to make people's lives better, to honor them. Notice Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Don't pretend, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Read the rest with me. And take delight in honoring each other. When was the last time you honored somebody? When was the last time you... You, you mentioned them in an honorable way to another person or you wrote them a note just to say how much you appreciated them to honor what they had done or the, what they represented in your life. Honoring is a valuable, valuable thing. Romans 13, 7. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then what? Honor. The Bible says that if you owe someone honor, you need to give honor. I think one of the sad things of our culture today is we're, we're losing a bit of our honor code in our society today, learning how to honor people. One of the things that my wife and I enjoy doing from time to time, we try to do it about once every year or so at least, is to go to Arlington National Cemetery. I love to walk through Arlington National Cemetery and just walk through the, the grave sites there and take a look at the people who gave their lives so that we could be free. See, freedom is never free. We have freedom because people laid down their lives. They're worthy of being honored. I love to go to the tomb of the unknown soldier and watch the changing of the guard to recognize that that is a representation, that I can go there as a citizen of the United States of America and I can honor those who gave their life that no one even knows who they are, but they gave their life for my freedom. And so we learn to build into our lives, into our children, a sense of honor. Honor is a valuable thing. Make your home uh, an environment, a culture of honor. Now, what I want to do as I wrap up here today is I'm going to give you a section from this message that's not even, not even on your notes, okay? So you're going to have to get your pen out and take some extra notes here because I want to wrap it up with some maybe a little capstone on it that really came to me last night. Everything that I've talked about today, and actually we talked about last weekend as well, have to do with your words in essence, if you could adjust how you speak, if you could work with the words of your mouth and change them in a good way, then all of your relationships would improve. Amen? All it takes is changing your, your words. Now, I say all it takes, that's very difficult, okay? The Bible says that the hardest thing you'll ever control is your tongue. It is the most difficult member of your body to get a, get a grip on. And the Bible says that mankind has tamed all kind of wild animals, but who can tame the tongue? How many would agree with me that sometimes your tongue gets you in trouble? Raise your hand right now, okay? Sometimes you mess up with your tongue. If your hand is not up, you're really messing up with your tongue right now. You're a liar, okay? okay. Our tongues get us into trouble. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, look at this. Death and life, where, where's the power? Where is it? Your tongue. Turn to your neighbor and say, stick out your tongue. No, no, don't do that, okay? No, no, don't do that, okay? That's ugly, okay? That ugly little organ in the middle of your face, so small but so powerful, strong little muscle that gets us into really, really big trouble. And so I want to conclude this Wise Up series by, and this particular focus on, um, this particular focus on relationships by teaching you how to improve your language. How do you improve your language skills? I'm not talking about English or Spanish or whatever your native tongue may be. I'm talking about the way you speak to people. This is a point of growth for all of us. And positive, powerful words. I'm going to use the phrase, the actual acronym for powerful. I'm going to give you these particular statements that will help you to maybe use this as a point of adjustment in your life. So we're just going to use these uh, P-O-W-E-R-F-U-L, powerful. Say it with me, powerful. Have truly powerful words in the right way. Here's what they need to be. The P stands for productive. When you're having a conversation, you're speaking words to others, make sure that your words are productive words, that they move you forward in the relationship, not backward. How many times have there been things that come up in a marriage or in a friendship, and all the focus, instead of being productive and moving the, the relationship forward, it's all about what happened in the past. We spend all of our time about how you hurt me and what happened in the past, and so... Good speech to improve your language. Make sure that it's always productive, okay? The second one, O, stands for optimistic. Optimistic. That when you have conversations with people, put it on the positive side. Let it be hopeful. Let it be a sense of possibility about how life is. Don't be, a, don't be someone who is a purveyor of despair. If you met a person like that, you begin a conversation with them. Everything's bad. Everything's negative. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. This is horrible, okay? Now, I'm kind of thinking the world is going to hell in a handbasket, okay? But I, I'm focused on the Jesus who came to redeem the world. How about you, okay? I'm focused on the fact we have the gospel, the good news, so I don't have to tell you the bad news. I'm here to tell you the good news. We have hope. And so a positive conversation with someone is one that is productive, that's moving things forward, that is optimistic, is moving toward a possibility of something good for the future. It is hopeful. The W stands for wise, that you've thought about what you're going to say because so often... We put our mouth in motion before our mind is in gear. And we can begin to say things, and before we know it, we have allowed this stuff to come out of us. And so wisdom is creating a filter before it comes out of your mouth. Everybody say filter, okay? We all need a filter, don't we? That just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it, okay? Wow, I got a little amen right over there somewhere, okay? E, earnest, be sincere. Don't lie in your relationships. Be earnest, be sincere. Be serious in the way that you have, I'm not saying you can't have humor in your interactions, but I'm saying but pay attention to what you're saying. Be earnest. Think about what you're saying. Make sure that you're communicating in an honest and truthful way and then are respectful, be respectful. Respect the worth of people. F, make sure your words are fitting. 
that they're appropriate, they're suitable, they're becoming to the situation. You know, sometimes something just isn't. Have you ever met a person before and they, they, had, they were wearing clothes that just didn't fit, okay? I mean, like, you know, this like, it's like either way too small, okay, and they're trying to press themselves into it, or it's way too big, and as soon as you see it, you say, okay, that, that, that doesn't fit them well, right? doesn't fit them well. When we say something is fitting, it means that it's appropriate for the situation. What I mean by that is that sometimes the things you want to say in a moment is not appropriate right then. It's not fitting for that moment, correct? Okay? It's not the environment to say what you want to say. It's not the atmosphere. Things aren't going in the direction that this word would be, this conversation would be fitting for me to bring this in. Or maybe I want to bring something in that I'm going to now, I'm talking with you, but I want to bring something in about somebody else. It's not fitting because it's gossip, okay? It's slanders using a statement about someone else that I don't know or it's not there to defend themselves. And so there are a lot of ways in which conversations are not fitting. And so you want to make sure that they're suitable, that they're fitting. And then the you. Make sure your conversations are unifying. Bring together rather than push apart. We need to be people who are unified. Amen? You know one of the main things that Jesus prayed? Are you listening? One of the main things that Jesus prayed before he, he went to the cross... Most folks don't realize the prayer that he prayed. We all, we all remember the Garden of Gethsemane, don't we? When he prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not mine, but yours be done. We all know that prayer. But you know, he prayed another set of prayers in John 17. And his prayer was, Father, I pray that they may be one. As I and you, you, Father, and I are one. He prayed for unity. And so one of the greatest things that you can work for in your life is not division and strife, but to work for unity, bringing together. And then the L stands for loving. Make sure your conversations are loving. Let me tell you what loving is. Loving is not always feeling mushy. Okay, that's not love. That's the, that's the common romantic definition of love. Loving is caring what's best for the other person. That's what love is. Doing what you can to benefit the other person in their life in some way. So love puts you in a position to where you're not looking for what you're going to get out of it. You're not manipulating the situation for what you want. You're actually making the decision to say, I'm going to say what needs to be said in a loving way for the benefit of this individual. So let's go back through them again. Do you have them written down? P stands for productive. O, optimistic. W, Wise, E, earnest, R, respectful, F, fitting, U, unifying, and L, loving. I promise you that if you will use that approach to your words, I promise you that you will speak life-giving words. That you will use your hammer for the right thing instead of the wrong thing. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful for the opportunity that you've given us to study your word. We ask that you would speak to us. Lord, through this on a continuing basis, let this stay with us, God, and continue by the Holy Spirit to equip us to build relationships and wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. 
You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward, in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. And we'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.